Okay, the problem that I would like to discuss today is a problem that appears in the parasha, but has a background. And that's the question of, uh, of divine justice. We assume, uh, somehow, that there is divine justice. It would be difficult to live in the shadow of God if we didn't think that God was just. Um, of course, you know, when it comes to individual justice, like the justice meted out to individuals, then we know about uh, Eov, an individual who suffered a lot to prove a point which remains, I think, unclear. The Novi Yumiyahu. The Novi Yumiyahu said, Madua Derech Rishaim Tzalecha. How come the wicked seem to do so well in this? I mean, we know that they're wicked, but they they get they get promoted and position and make money. Madua Derech Rishaim Tzalecha. The end of the pasuk is Shalu Kolbog De Baget. Shalu is like Shalom. All of these dastardly fellows, people, seem to be living in happy in happy peace. Well, that's, uh, we could mention Gaddafi for the last forty years. You know, same person that we've all loved, learned to dislike, was. Uh, pretty much his own person for the last 40 years. So with individuals, that has already been asked by Eov, by Yirmiyahu. How about communities? Well, that was asked by Avram Avinu of the Rebbeinu Shalom. Avram Avinu said, uh, you could destroy Sodom? What if there are 50 righteous people in Sodom? and 40, and 30, and 20, etc. And finally, HaKadosh Baruch Hu saved the one person in Sodom and his family who was not righteous, but who sometimes did more righteous things than other people. And his name was Lot. And, and so this argument that went on between God and, uh, and Avram Avinu or this discussion of the matter is noteworthy. And it's hard to understand. I mean, what did Avram Avinu think? Did Avram Avinu think that God is not just? And they had to create uh, this kind of idea that uh, of justice. I mean, is that what happened? Hard to, hard to imagine. So I always thought that the discussion between Avram Avinu and HaKadosh Baruch Hu was a different discussion. Avinu said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I know that you, Hashem, are just. I know that whatever happens in Sodom is just. But how will I explain it? It was Avinu was the person who accepted upon himself the role of the explainer explaining what belief in one God meant, explaining what it meant to say that God created the world, etc. He was the great explainer. He, 
Avram Avinu was the great explainer and so when he said when he said look if you destroy everybody then what will I say if people ask me well what about the righteous in Sodom we're going to assume that there was somebody there who was a little more righteous and didn't deserve to be killed so as a result in spite of the fact that there was not anybody like that Hashem saved Lot and because God saved Lot, Avram Avinu had something to say. And he could say, well, if there were more people like Lot, they surely would have been saved. Because God didn't have a particular interest in saving Lot, it's just that he was a little better than the others on certain occasions. He wasn't really better, but on certain occasions he was better. So you, you see that this question of divine justice how God runs the world is a question that comes at the very beginnings of things. Eov, Eov either lived at the time of Moshe Rabbeinu or earlier even than Moshe Rabbeinu. Yirmiyahu was the prophet of the destruction of the temple. You remember, he said, Madua Hashem Tzalecha, I told you the Pasuk. Yirmiyahu was the one who lived through the destruction of the temple and while he didn't justify it Adarabah he, he complained bitterly about it but he was the one who somehow explained to the people that they should continue their allegiance to God in spite of the fact that this terrible event had taken place that the temple had disappeared that there was nobody, uh, there was no way to, to relate to the previous situation, nevertheless. Yirmiyahu led the Jews back to, the, back to God somehow, in spite of the fact that the Jews looked around, they said, God must have left, this must be the end of Jewish history. But no, somehow Yirmiyahu led them back to a belief in God. And so that 70 years later, or 50 years later, or 110 years later, you know, like 50 years later, when the Jews came back to Eretz Yisrael, they were led by Zerubavel and Yeshua Kohen Godol. Right, those were the two leaders who brought the Jews back to Eretz Yisrael after 50 years. After 70 years, in 516 BCE, they, uh, they dedicated the altar of the temple. And they started bringing korbanot after 70 years. 20 years later, Ezra came back with a very large group of, of uh, exiled Jews. With a very, so somehow, somehow someone explained to the Jewish people that what had happened and the destruction of the temple was a reasonable expression of divine justice and it was important for us to get back to Eretz Yisrael as soon as we possibly could. Now, it's certainly true that not all the Jews came back to Eretz Yisrael. But when Ezra came back, a pretty large number of Jews came back with Ezra, about 40,000 according to the lists in the book of Ezra. By the book of Ezra, there are lists of families that came back to Eretz Yisrael when he came to Eretz Yisrael. So again I say that even Yirmiyahu, who had some question 
about divine justice on the individual level must have accepted the fact that on the communal level, on the bigger level, it was uh, certainly true that God was exercising justice. Otherwise, how could he convince the Jews to come back to Eretz Yisrael or to maintain their connection to Judaism? We, we tend to overlook the fact that terrible tragedy has been like part of Jewish history and that uh, the question is always how they overcome the tragedy. How do, they, how do the Jews say that after all that's happened, somehow I want to maintain my relationship with God? I mean, this is an amazing... Uh, I mean, you know, I suppose psychologically and sociologically it could be explained one way or the other, but it's still remarkable. Okay, now look at the Pasuk. The first Pasuk on the first sheet, which comes from our parasha. That Pasuk says, Lo yumtu avot al banim, ubanim lo yumtu al avot, whatever that means. In other words, the fathers will not be killed because of the children. The children will not be killed because of the fathers. I mean, you could explain it the, that part of the passage in the way that it might be explained in the ancient Near East, you know that you know. If you if you want to fight against the person, you can fight against his family. If you fight against the son, you can fight against the father. I mean, you see this in tribal kinds of situations that even happen today, right before our eyes. We see this. We see this happening. And then the at the end of the Pesach is Ishbechet O Yumatu. So this is a Chiddush. This is a Chiddush that every person is judged for what he did. Not for what his father did and not for what his son did. Every person is judged based on his own action. Rashi on this Pesach says Lo yumtu avot al banim be'edut banim. So Rashi quotes a Gemara. And the Gemara says that what this Pesach really means is that the children cannot testify against the parents in court and the parents cannot testify against the children. Okay, you know that Ben Sora Morer is an exception, but the Gemara says that that never happened. There was never a Ben Sora, but it's an exception. It's true. yumatu. Was the end of the Pasuk is Ish Becheto Yumato, which seems to be tautological with the beginning of the Pasuk. Somehow. Someone who is not yet considered an Ish, an adult, he might die as a result of his father's sin. Haktanim meitim ba'avon avotam b'yidei shamayim. That's what Rashi says. The children are liable to die because of the transgression of their fathers, that somehow is equated with divine justice. Again, what's the drasha? That the Pasuk says, Ish yumat, that this parity between children and fathers only exists for adults, but not for children. What a terrible thought. Right, Shamai. 
Shemayim. That's what Rashi says. Now, just to remind ourselves, if we look at the beginning of the second page, at the Rambam, at the Rambam, Hilchos Eidus, the second quote from the Rambam, Hilchos Eidus, Perikid Gimel Halacha Aleph, Akrovim, Psulim Leidut Min Torah. Relatives, real relatives, not, you know, imaginary relatives like we have today, but real relatives are not allowed to give witness in a court. Psulim Leidut Min Torah. Just like two brothers can't give witness, even Moshe and Aaron, right? Those are two reliable brothers who are witnesses, who might be witnesses. The Torah says, Moshe and Aaron, we can't accept them. Again, that same pasuk, the Rambam quotes the same pasuk that we are learning. And the lo yum tu avot albanim means the father's shall not be prosecuted because of the witness of the children and vice versa. When Rambam says he's saying that even though it would seem that this pshat in the pasuk is kind of a little uh, unreasonable, like it's not a simple pshat. Nevertheless, it, it is the people knew that this pshat came from Moshe Rabbeinu. When Moshe Rabbeinu taught the pasuk, this is what he told them. This is what he told them it meant. And if Moshe Rabbeinu told them that's what it meant, so that's what it means. He said, V'ya Shmua Lamdu, Shebechlal Lav Zeh, Shelo Yumtu Avot Al Pi Banim, Velo Banim Al Pi Avot is Lav, which says that the mouth of the sons could not prosecute the fathers, and the mouths of the fathers cannot prosecute the sons. So they learned that, that the reference was only to the father. The father and his son, the father and his grandson, they're the ones who cannot, who cannot uh, uh, give witness. He says all the other relatives, right, like like the mother, right, or into, of marriages that took place, they are kulam psulim This is an extension. The Chachamim said they are also treated like relatives. So if you need two witnesses to sign a document, which, uh, let's say, you need two witnesses to sign a ketubah. Well, ketubah is a, is a shtar. And you need two witnesses that are acceptable in court. So besides the fact that they should be shomrei shabbat, shomrei tarat, mishpachan, but they should also, they also cannot be related to each other really in any way. Because even though Midoraita, it's only the father's family that has, that has this limit. But Midrabanan, even it's extended to the mother's family, to the siblings and their families, etc. Okay? So that's what the Rambam says. Lahalacha. And that's the same thing that Rashi says. 
as the simple interpretation, as the simple interpretation of our, of our pasuk. If you go back to Chol Tshuva, the first thing on that page, Perek Vav Halacha Aleph, the Rambam says this, Psukim Abayesh Batorah B'Divrei Nevi'im, there are many verses in the Tanakh, Shehem Nirim Kisotrim Ikar Zeh, they seem to deny this principle that I've just elucidated, we'll see what it is in a minute, V'Nechshalim Bahem Rov Adam. most people, uh, make mistakes about them. The Yalel Da'atam Mehen, in other words, some of them will even think that somehow that we're under control. That God controls us, and we don't have free will, what we call free will, that we can't do what we want, but we have to do what God wants us to do. I want to tell you something. The Rambam says, you know, he's like, draws you close, and he says, I want you to understand all those psukim that seem to indicate that we don't have free will. And that we have to do what God intended us to do. A person who transgresses. One of the people in the city sin and he does it of his own free will so no the Rashi says there's such a thing there is there is this opportunity to do things that are wrong and he should be punished and God knows how he should be punished Begufo, obimamono, obibanavaktanim. In other words, the Rambam says, remember Rashi? So the Rambam says that punishment will come to this person in Olam Hazeh, in this world. Uh, and in what way? Begufo, physically, obimamono, in his economic well-being, Sometimes the punishment will go to his small children. And the Rambam has this idea. He says that children under the age of mitzvot are not independent actors. They do not, they have not separated themselves from their parents, which they do when they assume the mitzvot in the Torah, because they're saying, I have the responsibility to keep the mitzvot. And if I have the responsibility to keep the mitzvot, I'm no longer connected to my father's responsibility. It's not true that he is responsible. So the Rambam says, 
או בבניו הקטנים שבניו של אדם הקטנים שאין בהם דעת Right, what does it mean to say that children don't have any da'at? They, they don't have halachic da'at. You know, as a child can't sign a contract. He can't obligate himself to some kind of financial uh, obligation. I mean, even in, the, in modernity, we would say the same thing. You know, a ten-year-old child signs a contract, so that contract would be null and void. So that's what the Rabbim says. They are like his property. Not because they are not important or not interesting or not, uh, are not uh, our concern. But they are kikinyano, meaning that they don't have this sense of independence. Remember that? That's our puzzle. So that the Rambam has elucidated our pasuk which says Ish Bechet Yumat. But, let's just finish. V'yesh chet shadin noten shenifra'im imenu l'alam haba v'ein la'over alam shum nezek bo'olam hazeh. There are certain times that God determines that God determines that the punishment will come to a particular person so that according to this programmatic statement in the Rambam you can never say how come the bad guys are doing well and the good guys are doing poorly because the one thing you can never evaluate is divine justice because it could happen it could happen it could be that you're absolutely right that he's a bad person and you have the free will to stay away from that bad person but you cannot argue ever that the punishment is insufficient because you don't know what the punishment is and you don't know when it is. You don't know when it's given. So again, the word ish, the word ish is explained by the Rambam and by Rashi, and by Rashi, to exclude or exclude children as independent actors. And that the argument is that they will be punished sometimes because of the father. The children will be punished because of the father, because that is a punishment for the father. What about the children? You know what they say? Vesechmit. I have no idea. I don't I mean, I don't know. But I understand. I understand the point that the Rambam is making. The point that the Rambam is making is that we don't know. We don't know what the situation is. That's his answer to Yirmiyol another. Yirmiyol came and said, What's the answer? How do you know? How do you know Derech Hashem Salecha? How do you know what's really happening? How do you know what the plan is for the Rishaim? There's no... I mean, you can't make the argument. You could beseech God for mercy, but you can't make an argument that God is unjust. That's the point of the Rambam. 
And that's the point of Rashi. We look back at the first uh, uh, page. Let's look at a few more. A few more psukim. Shmei perikot psukei. Says, Rosei chesed la'alafim lo'avai u'yishomrei mitzvotai. Rosei chesed la'alafim. What does alafim mean? Alafim means thousands of Okay, generate. Could, it could mean thousands of people in your family. Oseh chesed le'alafim to the generations lo havai u'veshomrei mitzvotai. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, what's wrong with just le'shomrei mitzvotai? What's lo havai? Lo havai, avas Hashem, as you know, is a mitzvah in the Torah. The Rambam talks about it in Hilchot Sodi Torah in the second chapter. Avat Hashem is a mitzvah. So, but all the mitzvahs are mitzvahs. Why? Why should the pasuk say Lo Avai or Yisrael Mitzvotai? So, Rashi says, Oseh Chesed, Notzer Chesed, Shadam Oseh. Notzer chesed, that the chesed, chesed is not a a word you can translate. Even though in English it's often translated loving kindness. As though there was kindness without loving or loving without kindness. That's what Shteyach and Gansanet, you know. But if you put the two words together, it sounds like you know what you're saying. Which is an important thing. Especially with teachers. Teachers always try to give the impression that they know the answer to the question, even though they haven't got a clue. This sometimes causes friction between students and teachers, because the students often recognize the fact that the teacher is trying to pull the wool over their face, and they don't like that. So, I always say, when in doubt, admit it. So, the Pesach says, it's a Rashi of saying, Rashi says, in other words, the chesed that we do is kind of put away. We don't get compensation for all the chesed we do. But it's there in the bank. And in the bank, your children can draw on it, and your grandchildren, thousand generations can draw on the chesed that you have put in the bank. Nimtseita. Midat al midat puranut achat al me'ot. So Rashi says, the bank that holds the chesed, right, is 500 times more powerful than the bank that holds the wickedness. Because about the weakness, it says in Aser that they wrote, in the third and fourth generations. Here it says a thousand generations. So it's 500 times. The power of chesed is 500 times more than the power of uh, non-chesed. Let's look at the next, the next pasuk from Yirmiyahu. Or pasuk from Yirmiyahu. By Yirmiyahu, lo yimu'od avot achub ba'oser v'shinei banim tekena. Boser is unripened fruit. 
And apparently, unripened fruit was bad for the teeth. So, Yumiel says, The days are coming. No one's going to say the fathers ate this unripened food. And she named Banim Tikhema. And the teeth of the children became wobbly. You know, they had bad teeth. The fathers ate ate this bad food and the children had bad teeth. I mean, today, we have to sort of like readjust our attitude to certain things because you've heard of, you've heard of genes, right? <laughs> so you know that, what, what, what do the genes say? The genes say, you know, there used to be this argument about, uh, what did they call it? Whether you, you inherited the traits that you had or you... Nature or nurture, something like that. Nature, yeah, that was one of the names that it had. But I think that today the argument is basically, you know, moot. Because every day, if you read the, those kind of magazines, you'll find something else that has been determined, determined genetically, um, genetically transferable. That everything we are, is what we received from our parents, whether we like it or not. You know, we, that's the way we are. So I don't know if today we would agree with, uh, with Yehudiyahu, who said, someday people are going to say the fathers ate uh, crummy food and the children had bad teeth? Nah. But we say, what do you mean nah? Everybody who goes to the dentist knows that he has bad teeth because of his parents. Right? Eskimos, for example, don't go to dentists. Dentists could never make it in Eskimo land, wherever that may be. Because for thousands of years they've been eating raw whales. And that made them, gave them strong teeth. I mean, you couldn't eat raw whales if you didn't have strong teeth. So their teeth are okay. But in any event, Rashi says, Rashi, Okay, This is a or a real thing. It's either a kind of a way of saying it that Yirmiyahu has adopted, or it's really true. So it says, we're hoping in the future People will not say that the children are, are suffering because of the sins of the fathers. It means that in the time of Yirmiyahu Hanavi, that's what they said. So when the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed in 586 BCE, the people standing there, what did they say? Even though the Gemara in Yuma and Aleph says that the, the people transgressed the three major transgressions, right? The Bayadrisha idolatry, sexual, uh, whatever, and murder. That's what they did. So, well, what did the people say when the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed? They said, why us? We're not the worst people that ever exist. Our fathers, they were really bad, and our grandfathers, they were the worst. So Yirmiyahu says, you know what Nirvana is? That people will not say that the fathers are responsi- responsible for the punishment that is meted out to the children. 
That's what Yirmiyahu says. In those days, later on, Lo Yomru Oda Votach Luboser Vishinei Banim Tikena. They're not going to say that. No one's going to say that. That means that up to now, they did say it. Up to the time of Yirmiyahu and Avi, they said it. So they said it about the Beit HaMikdash. They said, why us? Yes, we're bad. But we're not as bad as Grandpa. You know, he was really bad. So that's what the, that's what the Pasuk says. The Pasuk of Tehillim says, Achat Tiber Elokim Shtaim Shabati, Ki Oz Lelokim. Okay. I, I put that Pasuk in in spite of the fact that it's quite difficult because we'll see what Rashi says. The second Pasuk, in Tehillim Perik Bet, Lecha Hashem Chesed. That's the chesed. It's almost that we say, like if you say the genetics are connected to all of this, that um, that it's a miracle that everybody will be punished for what he did and not for what his father did or what his children did. That's kind of miraculous because everything affects everything else. You know about the butterflies, about chaos theory. So you can't, you can't get away from yourself. You can't nowhere to hide. You can't, I mean, Avram Avinu was the only one, the Maral said, to disengage himself from his genetic inheritance and from his father. So we say, Okay, Abraham, okay, Yitzchak, well, okay, Yaakov, because we know Yitzchak is the son of Abraham and Yaakov is the son of Yitzchak, but Abraham, there's no mention of Abraham being the son of, of Terah, because Abraham disengaged from Terah. Terah was not the model that Abraham Avinu followed, neither genetically nor in any other in any other way. So that's an interesting point. That's called chesed. Chesed means something that was that is beyond what is necessary. Chesed. Right? We said loving kindness. Rashi says, chesed. See, Raji says, what's the grace of chesed? That God should do justice? Of course God, God should do justice. So he says, he adds this idea. He says, In Shochatov, there's this drasha that... Uh, you gave us less even than we deserved. The Yesh le Potro owed with a Hashem Chesed, Ki Yesh Biat Chalashalem le Ishkim Asayu. Alright, so the question is, the question that Rashi deals with the Possek and Telem is, what's the Chesed? We're talking about justice. Justice is not Chesed. Justice is what has to be. Okay. The next Pasuk. Sachol le Olam Brito, Davatsiva le Elevdor. The Vatsi Val Elif Dorah, she says, HaTorah, 
Asher Tzivalo Diyabolav Lachar Elif Dor. God commanded that the Torah should be brought into the world after a thousand generations. It was impossible that the world should exist without Torah. Again, you see the pasuk in Shemot was a chesed lalafim lo havai, and we said, "What's lo havai? Why isn't shomer mitzvotav enough?" And here in the Rashi, Rashi explains that tiach l'shmo lahem lalav dor kinyan shomer abrit v'achesed le'ohavav. It's another pasuk. Right, the pasuk, the next pasuk on the page. Viadata, you see Perik Zion pasuk tet. The next pasuk on the page. Viadata ki Hashem lokehu alikim akel aneeman shomer habrit v'achesed. You know what shomer habrit v'achesed means? Brit is covenant. Shomer habrit means we keep the covenant. There's a deal. We do the mitzvot. God gives us good things. That's the deal. If we don't keep the mitzvot, then we will be punished. What is Shomer Habrit? V'hachesed. So that's called, the grammarians have a name for that. It's an asindatan. Asindatan means it's, a, it's there to confuse you. Because what is it that it sounds like? Shomer Habrit V'hachesed. As though there are two things. There's a Brit and there's Chesed. And Shomer Habrit V'hachesed means that God is watching over you in both areas. The area of Brit and the area of Chesed. But that's not what an Asindutan is. Asindutan is Harbo, Arbe, remember? Chava. Remember Chava? Harbo, Arbe, Etzvonech, Veheronech. What does that mean? Harbo, Arbe, a lot. Now what's Etzvonech? It's the Hebrew word Atsuv. Pain, sadness. What is Heronech? Pregnancy, right? Now let's do it again. Harba arbe. You just tell me what the pasuk means. Etzvonech veheronech. I will increase. God says. Etzvonech your pain, your sadness, your torment, and your pregnancy. No, it can't mean that. What it means is harba arbe etzvonech shel heronech. In other words, it'll be the pain, the sadness, the unhappiness, which comes from pregnancy. That I understand. In other words, that's what, that's what HaKadosh Baruch said to Chava. Beforehand, it was a, it was a dream, you know, a cinch. Now it's going to be a pain. Right? That's what's going to, that's what's going to be. So here, Shomer HaBritva Chesed is also that kind of an asindaton. It means God will keep the covenant in a chesedic manner. That means you won't be called on the carpet really for everything you do wrong. But there's a lot of chesed involved in the way God keeps the covenant. So the Pesach says, 
וידעתי כי השם לוקח ולאימא, אלא נאמן שומר ברית והחסד לאוהביו ולשומרי מצוותיו. You see that? לאוהביו ולשומרי מצוותיו. That's the same combination that exists in שמות פרק כ' פסוק ח'. כבר עושה חסד לאלפים. What's חסד? חסד is the ascendantan with ברית. God treats us with חסד, even though there's a covenant. And even though the covenant could be, you know, dealt with by lawyers who would be able to kind of uh, assume the jots and the tittles and figure out what we had done wrong and why we have to be punished. But no, chesed. God treats us as chesed. And then again we see this excessive use of the word, the excessive use of the word, ohavav. Why ohavav? Why not just shomei mitzvotav? So the two things I would like to uh, tell you, one is the summarizing position of the Rambam in the guide, which we'll try to go through quickly. The Rambam says, this is, um, this is the Friedlander translation, which today is not highly regarded, um, in spite of the fact that he was English, and therefore probably knew English. But his translation is not as highly regarded as the translator of Pines, who was a Czechoslovakian or something, and certainly didn't know English at all, but the, the English translation is beautiful. Uh, so, uh, but Friedlander, you get it for free on the internet. <laughs> so it's easier to put it on, the, on a page. His action towards man- mankind also include great calamities. That's the topic. So what do you say about a tsunami? What do you say about an earthquake? Remember we were talking about justice, about divine justice, which overtake individuals and bring death to them, affect whole families and even entire regions, spread death, destroy generation after generation, spare nothing whatsoever. You see the Rabbam says, It's not only, you know, an earthquake, it doesn't only destroy a generation, but it destroys the future generations, either because they haven't been born yet, or if they've been born, they're going to be killed. So the Rabbim says, hence there occur inundations, earthquakes, destructive storms, tsunami. What was the name of that hurricane? That it, who? Oh, Irene, Irene, great. It's like if you feel, you'll feel so bad if the hurricane's name is Irene. You know, you feel like... It's something that happened in America, you know. You know, it's not, not of no significance. Whatever such a sort of blotting out... Well, I'm sorry. Hence there occur inundations, earthquakes, after generations... Uh, here we are. Destructive storms, expeditions of one nation against the other for the sake of destroying it with the sword and blotting out its memory and many other evils of the same kind. Whenever such evils are caused by us to any person, they originate great anger, violent jealousy, or a desire for revenge. God is therefore called because of these acts, je- jealous, revengeful, wrathful. You know that those are, that appears in the Tanakh a lot. He performs acts similar to those which when performed by us originate certain psychical dispositions of jealousy, desire for retaliation, revenge, or anger. They are in accord with the guilt of those who are to be punished, not with the result of And the emotion for is above all the, you know, God, you can't, even though the words in the Torah seem to classify God as a, another person, 
But God is angry, God is happy, God, but isn't that, that obviously can't be. And the same is the case with all divine acts, though resembling those actions emanate from our passions and physical dispositions, they are not due to anything super added to his essence. The governor of a country, if he's a prophet, should confirm, conform to these attributes, acts, of punishments must be performed by him moderately in accordance with justice, not merely as an outlet to his passion. He might not let loose his anger or allow passion to overcome him. So you see that the Rambam says that the model, the divine model for human action is that if you, you have a position of authority, you can't allow your, uh, your anger or your, you know, the way you react to a particular event to determine how you're going to act in the world because uh, that's how God was. God does, it certainly doesn't. He might not let loose his anger nor allow his passion to overcome him for all passions are bad and they must be guarded against as far as it lies in man's power. At times, and towards some persons, he must be merciful and gracious, not only for motives of mercy, mercy and compassion but according to their merits. At other times, it is not all bad people are bad. And sometimes people do bad things, but they, you know, you could understand that they, that they deserve mercy. At other times, so other persons, he must evince anger, revenge, and wrath in proportion to their guilt, but not from motives of passion. You know, there's the story about the stifler. The thing is about the stifler, there was a, Anyone Shabbos at lunch, I'm making this up, but I mean the story, is, the basic story is correct. Uh, the disciple is sitting at lunch with his uh, family and he whacked his son, who, you know, who is in any event uh, supposedly like an angel, but uh, anyway he whacked him. So the son says to, said to his father, what did I do? He says, you didn't do anything. But four weeks ago, you did X. And I didn't want to punish you then because then it might have been because I was angry at you. So I had to wait for a time where I was certain that I wasn't angry and then I'm going to punish you. Because the punishment, and this is what the Rabbim says, the punishment should not derive from a uh, character flaw. You know, there's some people who are more, get angry more easily. Some people are always yelling at everybody else that they see. So, so uh, the problem is that the punishment that they mete out to their children should not be a function of the anger that they have, but it should be educational. I mean, you punish people in order they should improve. Okay. Look at the last line. You have no doubt noticed in the Torah how the commandment to annihilate seven nations, etc., that they teach you not to do after all the abominations which they have done unto their gods, so should you sin again against the Lord. That is to say, you shall not think that this command implies an act of cruelty or of retaliation. It is an act demanded by the tendency of man to remove anything that might turn him away from the right path to clear away all obstacles and roads of perfection. That is to the knowledge of God. Nevertheless, so this is the Rambam. The Rambam says you can't allow... Uh, uh, personality deficiencies to control your sense of right and wrong. But that doesn't mean that there's no right and wrong. 
and that sometimes the people who are promoting evil have to be denied the opportunity to uh, to do that. Okay, then if you skip a little bit, this is the case maybe inferred halfway down from what is said in the Ten Commandments upon the third and fourth generation of my enemies. Right? Remember the third and fourth generation against the, the, the 2000? None except idolaters being called enemy. Um, it was, however, considered sufficient to extend the punishment to the fourth generation, but it was the fourth generation, the utmost the man can see of his posterity. And when, therefore, the idolaters were placed and destroyed, the old man worshipping idols has killed his son, his grandson, his great-grandson, that is the fourth generation, by the mention of this attribute, we are, as it were, told his commandments, undoubtedly in harmony with his acts, include the death even of little children of idolaters because the city of the fathers and grandfathers because you can't get it, you can't escape it. There's no way to escape it. The principle we find frequently applied in the law. So he says, he the Ramam says that the, the harsh statements in the Torah are always about idolatry. And idolatry is a scourge that has to be eliminated. Idolatry is not like being a vegetarian. You know, like a person could say vegetarian is terrible because it upsets the way the world uh, should run. You don't like veg You are a vegetarian? Those of you who are vegetarian should excuse me. What I mean to say, what I mean to say, even if you don't like vegetarians, it's hard to prove that the vegetarians are going to undo society. Right? That's a little difficult. But if the Torah says that idolatry will undo society then obviously you've got to do everything you can in order to prevent that from happening, even if it means killing children and grandchildren, etc. So you remember that the Rambam, that the, that the Rambam said that children are possessed. They're part of the possessions of their parents. And therefore, punishing the children is like punishing the, the parents. Here in the guide, the Rambam says, that children and great-grandchildren, children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, if they are imbued with the ideology of their parents, that it will always be a problem, and therefore, if you want to get rid of idolatry, you have to get rid of everybody. Before we leave today, I want to just tell you one thing. I think. There's a, on the, at the, on the second page, there's a statement of the Svatemet, uh, which was un- uh, incorrectly printed. I have the correct version. I'm going to tell you what the Svatamet says. He says, what is it? He says, you know, there are, there are people who ask. The Ibn Ezra, the Babadah, he doesn't mention who these people are, but he says, he says, Achokrim, he calls them. It's not on the sheet. I, I'm, I'm telling you what the Svatamet says, but what's on the sheet is the wrong Svatamet. That's what happens. So this is what the Svatamet said. He says, you know, people ask, how could the Torah say, Vahavta Sashabalokeha? Right, Shema Yisrael. Vahavta How do you do that? The Ibn Ezra asked this question, the Ibn El asked this question. So he says, How could the Torah command me to love God? Can't command me to love anybody. I mean, if I, if I don't love them, so I won't love them. I will be metu matanam in So he says, really, Ahava is not something, Ahavat Hashem is not something you achieve. But it's a matana. 
It's something you get. You get it for free. You get it for free. Al yedei Torah mitzvot yicholim lo But if you keep the Torah and you do the mitzvot and you know that you're doing it because God wants you to do it, yicholah orecha So this can encourage ahava. This can encourage ahava. V'hinei Shabbat nikra matana tova. Shabbos is called in uh, in a medrash matana tova. Why a, a present? Shabbos is a present. Ki Shabbos hu b'chinat ahava. Because Shabbos is love. K'moshe katu b'sfarim ki b'yemei hamaaseh ikar b'yira. Shabbat Kodesh, we have the six days of the week are the days of Yira. Shabbos is a day of Ava. Okay. So what does Vatabet say? That when the Torah says, it doesn't mean you go and love God. It means you do what you're supposed to do. And then you'll find that you're able to love God. That's the matana. That's what God gives you. So that if you look at the pasuk once again, right? Shmot perikav. Oseh chesed lalafim. Lo avai l'shol mitzvotai. So what is lo avai l'shol mitzvotai? The people who have this capacity of ahava. What gives them the capacity of Ahava? What leads to that capacity? Shomrei Mitzvotai. What does God, why, when, when God gives you this ability for Ahava, God gives you this ability for Ahava, so, so, uh, that's a matana. Is that something you couldn't get on your own? Is that something you don't have? So that's Lohavai Ule Shomrei Mitzvotai. That because you are one of Shomrei Mitzvotai, it's possible to imagine that you will reach the level of Avat Hashem, which itself is a Matara Min Hashemayim. So, we understand that there are, uh, that there's justice. And God is concerned about meeting our justice. But sometimes, justice doesn't look like what we think it might look like. There is injustice has to be blotted out. And that's what the Rambam tries to explain to us. That when it comes to Avodah when it comes to idolatry, the rules change. And when it comes to, you know what the Torah said, I think the Svatimeth explains well that Ahava is not a command like other commands. Whereas the Torah says Shegalulov, so you go Shegalulov. But when the Torah says that you have to be an Oev Hashem, that means that you have to hope for the best. You have to do what you can do and hope for the best. Hope for the best means is that you'll get a matana from heaven, a presence from heaven which will enable you, which will enable you to get to the level of Ohavav. So a present, that's a chesed. That's really a chesed, because you're getting something for nothing. You don't, you know, there's no reason for you to get it. Lo avav, lo shomrei mitzvotav, have a good Shabbos.